0: Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. We're starting a new series this morning. And it's based on the book Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Peter Scazzaro. And these first couple weeks are going to be more loosely related to that. And then we're going to go chapter by chapter through it after that. David Benner wrote about a magnet was, that was on his literary agent's refrigerator that said, good Christians often make lousy humans. If you know, you know. If you've ever had an experience with a Christian who was, was um, maybe more, uh, I, don't, I don't know the word to say, mean, <laughs> but knew the Bible better than you ever will and made sure that you knew that, you know that good Christians often make lousy humans. For some reason, and this is true, this is, pastors are guilty of this, it is often the case that people who know the Bible the best are, are the coldest relationally. We often don't allow the Spirit of God, we allow Him to touch every other part of our lives except our emotions. That part you can't touch because I don't do emotions. Every other part of our life. And when you do that, you, you walk with a limp spiritually for your entire life. And some people who have grown up in the church have never allowed Jesus in in that area. And we often don't know what to do with our emotions. And partly because we are a culture that is dominated by two philosophies. And we talked about this before. The first is stoicism. Stoicism, if you look it up online, it says the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings. And without complaint. Somehow not expressing emotions has become a virtue in our culture. And then the other one is pragmatism. Which means, does this have a practical application? Well, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Right, forget about this emotion stuff. Forget about my heart changing. Like, we don't need to talk about it. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. That's pragmatism. And both of those not only have infected our culture and dehumanized our culture, it's also dehumanized the church. We are lesser disciples because of those two things. Now, I always get a kick out of it when people say that I'm just not an emotional person. You can't say that. You're a human, right? So if you're a human, you are an emotional person. It's like one of those funny sayings like, there is no absolute truth. People don't say that anymore. You know why? Because the right response to that is saying, are you absolutely sure that that statement is true? You can't say it. You do have emotions. You are an emotional person. If you don't, display those emotions, a lot of times it's because we've been trained by our usually same-gender parent to not be emotional, or you're repressing them for one reason or another. But you are emotional, you've just been trained not to be. So the first thing that I want us to embrace is that Christianity has something to say about our emotions. This isn't just woo-woo. And here's what it is. The gospel of Jesus, and this is in your fill-in-the-blanks, the gospel of Jesus electrifies and regulates our emotions. The gospel of Jesus electrifies and regulates our emotions. And here's what I mean by the gospel. The gospel is everything that Jesus has accomplished for us so that we might enjoy life together with God forever. That's the gospel. And if you believe it, it'll wake you up. You can't sleep on that statement if you believe it. And part of becoming a Christian, a mature Christian, is actually acting as though you believe what you profess to believe. That's a really hard thing to do and it takes years. But if you actually believe what we profess to believe, that everything, that the gospel is everything that Jesus has accomplished for us so that we might enjoy life together with God forever, then that'll get you out of bed in the morning. and that involves his incarnation, which is a fancy way of saying Jesus, God, became a human being. He received a proper name. He was just the incarnate word before that day in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago where he received a first name, Jesus, and he'll always have that name. Jesus became, God became a person to identify with all the weaknesses and sufferings that we identify with and to experience the one thing that keeps us up at night, and that is death, but the gospel doesn't start, stop with incarnation. It goes to crucifixion. And crucifixion is God himself taking on the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion, for our sin. The ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, said, I'm going to stand in the place of them. I'll take the punishment they deserve and I'm the only one that can handle it because I'm eternal and I'm perfect. He made a way for us to not have to received the hell that he experienced on the cross and then the resurrection he was raised back to life so that we don't have to be afraid of death anymore people in the new testament say things like death where's your sting because you actually never really do die you close your eyes and if you're in christ you're in the presence of jesus that very moment that you pass and one day we get resurrected bodies because of the resurrection And then his ascension, which means that he floated up into the air to symbolize him going back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And we believe because of the ascension that Jesus is the most active person in this room right now, that he's working through the Holy Spirit, building his church, convicting us of sin, persuading us to do things differently. That's what the spirit does as he builds his church. And this invisible church will one day become very visible when he returns and our king lives with us on this earth. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, that's spiritual caffeine. We should feel something about that. The gospel of Jesus electrifies our emotions. If we never experience any emotions about the gospel of Jesus, it probably means it's not real to us yet. Now that's a pretty heavy thing to say, but if you had lived three years with Jesus and you were standing at the foot of the cross during his crucifixion, you'd feel something. You would suddenly be an emotional person. And if you believe that your best friend was dead and he had been for a few days and he showed up at your front door, you would feel something. Religion isn't enough. Religion doesn't have heart. Religion is emotionless. Religion creates cold, stone hearts. We're talking about something more. My last church I had the tremendous privilege and headache of hiring a full-time youth pastor for one of our campuses. And it was an attractive position, so it was like a national search. We got hundreds of um, resumes. and. Usually out of 100 resume, there's 10 worth calling. And out of the 10 worth calling, there was maybe three that we, we said, we'll fly in town, just come spend a weekend with us. So that weekend we brought in these, you know, at different times, these, these guys that we thought would be potential youth pastors. It was a long weekend. We put them through the ringer on purpose. So they had to meet with some of the most difficult parents. <laughs> Wanted to see how they handled adversity. They had to meet with some of the tougher students. They had to speak in front of the youth group. They had to meet with just a representative crew among the church. They had to meet with the executive team of the, the larger church, multi-campus. They had to meet with the senior pastor. And at the end of that weekend, I would always be with them, either on the way to the airport, or on the way to the person that was given a ride to the airport, it was just me and this person in the car. And I would, I would have one more question. That They're tired, their guard was down, we're laughing, we're talking about sports. And I would ask them before they get out of the car, hey, tell me about Jesus. Now, two of them gave a great theological answer. And one paused and said, saved my life. I mean, I jumped out of an an airplane without a parachute, (laughs) metaphorically speaking. And he showed up and caught me. Saved my life. And I was like, this is the guy. (laughs) That's my guy. Religion isn't enough. If your life has been genuinely touched by the grace of Jesus, you will not remain emotionally indifferent. When Jesus walked into a crowded room, electricity happened. Emotions came alive. And just consider the disciples. The beginning of the book of John, it's a little bit confusing and a little unclear of how John first met Jesus. John was one of, he was probably the youngest, he was probably, I would guess he's, personally I think he was 12 or 13 years old. So he was the kid brother for a lot of these guys. And there's reasons why I think that, you can just ask me later. But John, when he was an old man, wrote the book of John, the account of Jesus, the, uh, the biography of Jesus. And nobody really knows, he's not super clear when he first met Jesus. But some people think it's, he was one of the disciples of John the Baptist in the very beginning of the book. And he includes some details that don't really seem that important. They are, but they don't really seem that important. And people have been trying to figure out why some of these details were included. And A.B. Bruce in the training of the 12 says this, it would not be surprising that to his latest hour, John remembered with emotion the first time he saw the incarnate word and deemed them the minutest memorials of that time unspeakably precious. There are details in John's gospel that just don't seem necessary other than evidence of an old man remembering his best friend with great anticipation that he'll be coming back. In fact, John also wrote, The last book in the Bible, Revelation, he was, he did it from basically an island that became a prison to him. And the second last verse in the entire Bible says this, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. And John says, amen, come Lord Jesus. John lived his entire life in the emotionally electrified anticipation that Jesus was coming back which is ultimately the ultimate reality with which we are invited to live as well. If you have your Bibles with you, let's, um, I, all I want to do is walk through a passage in John. It's John chapter 21. And we're going we're gonna to look at verses 1 through 14. And I'm just going to read through it and, and talk a little bit about it at a time. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this, and you'll see why at the end. But all I want to do is is help give you a little bit of an idea or a vision of what it looks to read scripture and pay attention. Because it's so easy to read scripture and not pay attention. And if you don't pay attention, you're not going to be brought alive by it. Your emotions won't be stirred. But man, if you're paying attention, you will be stirred. Let's start... John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, okay, let me set the stage. Jesus has already been crucified, and he's been raised back to life. And the disciples would have wanted to spend every waking moment with him, but he didn't allow it for one reason or another. He'd only seen them a couple times at this point, and they're getting a little antsy. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, now, Tiberias is a town on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and because the town was called Tiberias, they kind of hijacked the name, and if you lived in Tiberias, you called the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. It's actually the Sea of Galilee, but if you live there, it's like you, you called it Sea of Tiberias. It's like us calling, it's not Lake Erie, it's Lake Worcester. <laughs> so he's talking about the Sea of Galilee, which means that they were in Galilee. There was a group of disciples in Galilee. Why do you think they were in Galilee? Why were they there? Because in Matthew 28, women got to the the grave, and it was empty, and an angel saw them, and then Jesus saw them, and they recognized Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, they fell at his feet, they began to worship him, and he said, go tell my brothers I'll see him in Galilee. And the angel had already told them, go tell the disciples that Jesus will see him in Galilee. So why were the disciples in Galilee? they probably spent every waking moment in galilee hoping that he would come back again and he revealed himself in this way verse 2 simon peter called simon peter thomas called the twin nathaniel of canaan galilee the sons of zebedee james and john and two others of his disciples were together seven of them simon peter said to them i'm going fishing that is Simon Peter. I mean, he, I can imagine him being very restless. Like, he said he was going to be in see us in Galilee. I mean, I went, like, why is he gone? Why did he not come back? Why is he, where is he at? Where could he possibly be? Where is the resurrected body of Jesus walking around on earth and wising with us? I'm going fishing. He goes back to something that he's familiar with. They said to him, We'll go with you. <laughs> they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. What does that remind you of? Is there another moment in the Gospels where the disciples go fishing and they fish all night and they catch nothing? How about Peter's ordination service? In Luke 5, Peter's called a ministry by Jesus. Jesus is teaching. He needs to get a little bit away from the shoreline and people can stand on the shore and listen to him. So he gets in Simon Peter's boat and they go a little bit away from the shoreline. After he's done teaching, he says to Simon Peter, go out a little bit deeper into the water and put the nets in and Peter's like um we've been fishing all night and haven't got anything and I can just imagine the look that Jesus was giving him at that moment because the very next thing Peter said was but we'll go out and put it in and so they put the nets in and there were so many fish that they couldn't pull it in it was it was tearing the nets it was breaking and ripping the nets Jesus knew who was in the boat, or Peter knew who was in the boat with them, And he goes up to Jesus, and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. It was Peter's ordination service. It was his call. And Jesus here is playing with that a little bit. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught Nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. That'd be a sight for sore eyes. He's about a a football field away from them at this point, so they don't really recognize him. But he's making breakfast. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. (laughs) He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And I bet at that moment, some of them were starting to wonder, like, wait a second. Someone else told us to cast our net into the waters once too. That couldn't be Jesus. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John's way of talking about himself. Therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. John's younger, he probably has better eyes, he can probably see, and he confirms it like, yep, it's him, Peter, go ahead and do your thing. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. There's another time Simon Peter got out of the boat and walked very tenderly towards Jesus and very timidly. This time he throws himself into the ocean to get to Jesus. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal of fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. That's an interesting thought. Jesus already had fish and bread on the fire, and he wanted some of theirs. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Interesting. Interesting little detail that the net wasn't torn. What happened the first time they caught so many fish? The nets were tearing and breaking. This time the net didn't tear. I'm going to let you think about that for a while. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And what follows after this passage is one of the most emotionally charged, intimate moments of Jesus with the disciples that we have in Scripture. A deeply, profoundly restoration of Peter who was humiliated and embarrassed because he had denied Jesus three times publicly. After telling Jesus he wouldn't, and after hearing Jesus say, yes, you will, humiliated. And this next conversation that he has with Jesus is one of the most precious restorations in scripture, beautiful. And I'm not going to read it to you. Because I think part of my job is to awaken you a little bit just to the potential of scripture and then to send you home a little bit hungry to read it yourself. So I would invite you sometime this week to read verses 15 through 19. The gospel of Jesus electrifies our emotions. Here's my request for you for this series. Be open to the fact that the Spirit of God wants to heal every aspect of your humanity, including your emotions. Now, some of us, that feels like an allergic reaction against that statement. And for some of us, because it's the water we swim in as a culture, are feeling the sense of cynicism rising up. And Brendan Manning says that a a cynic is a sentimentalist who's turned inside out. You used to feel stuff. And now you make fun of people that feel stuff. That's what a cynic is. And Jesus wants to heal every part of you, including your emotions but we can't deny that it's there and we can't deny him the opportunity because Manning also says, whatever is denied cannot be healed. So if you never allow Jesus to address that part of your life, you're gonna be in the same state that you are now in 30 years with older skin. You will have never grown up in that way. And the church is usually a safe place to not deal with emotions, but not here and not in this series. Peter is one of the most emotional people in the Bible. He wasn't, so, he wasn't as sophisticated as we are. He wasn't as cynical as we are. He wore his emotions on his sleeve and probably annoyed the daylights out of all the other disciples. But Jesus saw something in Peter. Be open to the fact that God actually created you to experience the full spectrum of emotions. And this week as you're reading scripture, Ask him to electrify those emotions. We're going to try something different now that that, that, that's the end of the message. And um, I I want to open it up, and I'm fully confident that we probably won't get anyone today. But if we don't start opening up, then we won't get used to this idea. But um, I want to start inviting you, at least just for a few times, to see how it works I want to start inviting you to ask questions after, series, after the series, after the teaching. But it's got to be about the teaching. Or if you have something to say or a short testimony. I don't, I, we, we don't need anybody rambling, including me. So if you have something to say or if you have something to add or if you have a question, I want to open it up to you guys to be able to do that. Because a lot of times people will ask me or email me questions or text me questions after a teaching. I'm like, man, I wish everyone would have heard that. That's a great question. So. Does anybody have any questions about this or about where we're going or about anything that I talked about? If so, Alex, uh, Pastor Al is going to walk around with a wireless mic. And if you even don't want to say it yourself, you just want to ask Alex to say it, then you can tell Alex and, and then he'll say it in front of everybody. Any questions? Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.